Hey, Thwadballs, John Moe here. New episodes of The Hilarious World of Depression are on the way, but in the meantime, we wanted to share with you this other thing that we've all been working on here. It's called Tremendous Upside, and it's kind of a sister program to Hilarious World, except instead of comedians and musicians and writers, it's all about athletes, big-name athletes who have faced tremendous pressure, have faced game-on-the-line kind of situations, all eyes on them, and how that gets complicated when mental illness enters the picture. Not just depression, but all kinds of mental illness. We've been working hard on this show. It's hosted by Shamiqua Holdsclaw, who's one of the greatest women's basketball players of all time. It's been so great working with her. She's really, really wonderful as a host. And I think you'll really like it. And so we're going to offer you the first episode of it right here in our Hilarious World feed. Search for Tremendous Upside in your podcast app and hit subscribe on that. All right. Thanks. Tremendous Upside features real talk about mental health. We talk about big wins, but we also talk about some really difficult stuff. And we want you to know that before we get into it. I had a mental uh, nervous breakdown, nervous breakdown. Okay. Yeah, on the highway, on a 90. Stopped the car over on the shoulder on the left side, not even the right side, the left side. Uh, I remember I was just. Were you by I yourself? Was, I was by myself. I was by was myself. Was it like an anxiety attack? Like, how do you. Just, how, like, um, explain it. I was just so stressed. Like, was... This is Tremendous Upside, a show about great athletes and our mental health. I'm Shamiqua Holstclaw six-time WNBA All-Star, three-time NCAA champion, two-time Naismith Award winner, Olympic gold medalist, and a person living with mental illness. In my case, depression and bipolar disorder. I feel like I would have had a better career if things were, if I would have had a little bit more stability and just focus on the game because I always want to fight. I'm on the court. Ain't nobody to fight on the court. There's nothing going down. This is basketball. But what you, what you mad about? That's my friend Ron. I know him from back in the day. When we were kids, we were just being kids. We never talked about what was going on with us. In our case, we were just playing ball. Man, it was just an enjoyable, the innocence, right? Yeah. Think, think about it, we just out there playing. And he was clapping balls on people <laughs> early. <laughs> he was clapping balls. Yeah, like, I remember yeah. you used to click, like spin, drop step, two hand claps. <laughs> and I'm yeah, like, I'm not, I thought I was one of the boys for a while. <laughs> We both ended up having big careers. Our test has made four baskets in a row. Three of them jams with authority. Shamiqua Holdsclaw, National Player of the Year and regarded by many as the best college player ever. Our test is doing a good job denying Jordan's possession of the ball. Jordan has to just walk away to the weak side. But it took a long time for us to deal with what was going on in our heads. For me, before I got a grip on it, I could get volatile. I did some scary things, things there were no excuse for, things that could have hurt people. One of them made the news. It was a rock-bottom moment and a wake-up call. My mental illness helps explain where my mind was at that time. Like I said, it's no excuse. It's not why I did it, but I had to get healthy mentally. I started to get help. I started to work on my issues. I got therapy and I started taking medication. Now I'm working as a mental health advocate, and I'm hosting this show. For our first episode, I talked to my friend Ron Artest. 
Today, his name is Meta World Peace. The rest of the world knows Ron best for one thing. Now our test has jumped over the scores table and is trying to get down to the bench. Our test is in the stands. Today, I announced the uh, following suspensions uh, resulting from the actions at the Indiana Pacers and Detroit Pistons game on November 19th. Uh, Indiana's Ron Artest has been suspended for the remainder of the season. But that's just one piece of his story. We talked about what it was really like to go from being a kid in the projects to a superstar in the NBA. When you're little, it's everything you want. But when Ron got it all, it was more than he could handle. All right, I'm here with my friend, uh, Ron Artest. You know, Ron Ron as I know him. Absolutely. And we're sitting here, we're a long ways from Queens, New York. Um, but it's still in our hearts, you know? Absolutely. And I just really want us to just like close our eyes and think back, you know? Absolutely. Think back to our days in Queens. We grew up probably five miles from each other. Or is about it that. It's about that. that. So a story is on one end, a story of housing projects. We had Ravenswood in the middle yep. and Queensbridge is at the end, closest to Manhattan, right? Yeah. So you know how we did the circuit. It was like stop at Diaz Park during right. the summer. And there was this kid that everybody was scared of. <laughs> he was like the, the enforcer. Man, you were you were out there, man, big bodying people. And so you had to be like, I guess, what is it, nine? That was nine or ten. Yeah, nine. Because Lamar was playing too out there. Yeah, yeah, Lamar yeah, yeah. was out there. And I remember your dad everywhere with yeah. that damn backpack. Yeah. You know, the, the, those string the ones strings, we used yeah. to carry. Yeah. Um, you know, he was there. And so as we, we look back, I remember, you know, you out there being an enforcer. I also remember I started hearing a guy say, man, he's going to be a pro. You know, he has this like NBA body or whatever. So talk about your days, like your day-to-day -day inside your household. Yeah, it was a lot of us. So my mom was the type to always bring people in. So it was 10 of us. And how big yeah. was that apartment? Well, we lived on 10th Street. We lived on the fifth floor. We lived in a three-bedroom or two-bedroom. So we was deep up in there, and then, then they start, everybody started to have babies. Daquan came, Junior came, and we, we moved. That house burned down. So then we was in a shelter for like uh, maybe two, two weeks. Right, week, okay. Going all over the place. Everybody's just going to family. And then they found us a place back in Queensbridge. Okay. A one-bedroom. So then we all moved to one-bedroom. Okay, so you're, you're in there. How did, how did it feel? Like, uh, you know, again, looking back, right? Right, right. Like, trying to develop and grow, you know, as, yeah. as a person with your family. Like, did you feel like sometimes you couldn't breathe? Like, did Everything you... was confusing because, like, when it's like, the, when that dysfunction is happening in the household, it just started getting real confusing at that point. And it was like, I mean, you're not leaving the house happy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, a lot, you know, so my, my, my uh, I think my anger or my aggression came from my household. It didn't really come from the streets because I wasn't really in the streets. Right. That just, you know, let let me to have like a I don't care attitude most of the time. You know, um it, it's really hard for parents to get, you know, to get along sometimes, you know. So yeah. I think if my parents would have stayed together, I definitely would have been totally different. I would have still been playing ball, but it would have been like I would I would have been able to, to handle things a little bit easier. Yeah. You know, but when my dad and mom, when they faced that adversity, they they split up and that's how you deal with adversity, you know. You don't really handle it, right? Right. So you know, they tell you your household is dysfunctional and things like that. But like you said, only thing you want is like your mom and dad. You know, it. you At want that um, that love and support. So when did you know like basketball was going to be your your career? Man, you know, 
I didn't know I was going to be good. I remember playing in a three-on-three Sprite tournament. You probably played in the one yet. Yeah, I did. You probably played, right? <laughs> and um, I remember playing, and I, I had my team. Everybody trying to get their teams together. And we lost. I think who we lost to. We might have lost to um, Najibi and maybe those guys. And then um, I remember crying on the monkey balls. They used to have the monkey balls oh, on 12th Street. And um, then I just, you know, I had nothing else to do. I was upset. I went back home. I... And I just kept playing. My dad kept me on the court. So when you was like starting out, you finding basketball. That was like yeah. an escape for me. That was like my my safety, my my coping mechanism. Did you realize like you had any mental health issues? I knew I was always upset. I knew it, it was a couple of things that got me upset. Like um, when the you know sometimes people could bully you, and then I remember like if you getting bullied or somebody bothering you, maybe it's like a gangster. A kid that's known for fighting, you know, and you know the kids that's known for fighting, yeah, <laughs> right. So you ain't gonna really mess with those kids, you know. So I remember a couple times like people just backing me down. I'm tall, I'm big, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fighter at that point. But when you're dealing with these type of kids, eventually you you grow immune to it, and you just be, you just have that I don't care attitude. It, it, it becomes it becomes like normal, you know, for for you to have these crazy attitudes and these outbursts, and it's not. Mental health issues at that point. Yeah, it's just I'm going outside. If I have to fight, I am survival. Right? <laughs> when you push, you know it's, it's, it's it's survival, man. Yeah. Especially where, where we come from, mm-hmm. you know, it was majority minorities in, in our neighborhood. So it was Before like it was bl- black and Latino. Latino. That was it. But I remember when my grandmother was like, noticed I needed uh, some therapy. Right, I went in. So I see all this brown around me, and I go in, and it's the preppy white guy trying to get me to talk. You know, culturally, I'm like, man, I ain't, yeah, I'm not too, opening up to you. That's what I was going to say. What was it like? My, my, my social, he was a social worker. He was, okay. he was white, white guy. So so how was that going in there when we're, you know, like, you're not used to seeing that well, face all the time. You know how I was used to it? Because, like, hold on, I was I was 13 years old, so okay. at that time, I already played for Artie Cox. Oh, Okay. And Bob Reese from the Reese Center was white. Okay. You know, so some of our biggest mentors. Really? Were like that. Yeah. Oh, we didn't see. We didn't have that in a in a, in a story. In a story, yeah. Y'all didn't have. Yeah, yeah. So you felt good talking to him and opening him up. I did because I, I knew like him. something was wrong, man. I knew something was wrong at 13 years old. My mom, my mom, because usually my mom would take someone to the um, MD, medical doctor. So most of my brothers was they always go and get on medication. She decided to take me to a social worker, which is not not even a. Not even a psychologist, like a right. social worker before mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the next step. And then um she could have easily took me to the hospital and put me in medication. I was close. Wow. So man, you this started, okay, so you knew early that there was something wrong. I, I like, knew I had I knew I had something. Like you had always the resources. What what was it? Was is this that hard head or the fear? I was hard headed. I was also I mean, um one of the I I don't know, I think I was just um very rebellious. Cause you know we was a we was a drug hub for yeah yeah Queens everything Bridge. Through Queens. yeah right right there so people were coming there they're not from the neighborhoods you know just like and drugs infested so you know people were trying to keep people out a lot of those shootout type things so you 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 become like immune to or you become attached to you know other like um, a gang affiliated people right you got to attach yourself to somebody right because and and in Queens Bridge it was like every block had a different crew. Yeah, you know, so it was it, it was like you you always had to walk around kind of hard. Like if somebody tests me today, you know, either it's gonna be a fight or I'm gonna go back on my block and tell my people something happened, and we gonna get it popping, you know. And it was, 
It, it was always it, it was that, and then like that don't leave you. And I'm a basketball player, and I and I got this stupid, and I got this mentality. It's like I love basketball, and that's why I, you know I feel like I would have had a better career if things were if I would have had a little bit more stability and just focus on the game because I always want to fight. And I'm on a court. Ain't, ain't nobody to fight on the court. There's nothing going down. This is basketball. What what you what you mad about? <laughs> you know, but I just couldn't. I was never able to just focus on the court hundred percent. Even with all the chaos around us, everyone in the neighborhood knew Ron was going to make it to the NBA, and he did. He got drafted by the Chicago Bulls when he was nineteen. You know, I guess like looking at you guys, I just felt like uh, this may be a lot, like you said, too yeah. soon. Like, are you ready? Because, you know, you guys coming up in New York, like Lamar, yourself, you guys were Riverside. It was, yeah, a dynasty. Yeah. No, it was a dynasty. You know what I'm saying? I just, I just always worried about you guys and, and your support and uh, stability. But it wasn't a lot of people there to kind of prepare us for what's going to happen. You know, you're about to enter a phase where this is what you go to college for. You go to college for a job. You know, so we skipped the whole college part. We skipped the, the whole um, intern, working part. Just skipped all the necessities and the fundamentals you need to, you know, sustain a job. And, you know, and uh, so we just went right to the money. <laughs> Two years ago, your mom, was, your mom was in control of your life. Right. You don't know anything. And now you pretty much in control of your life. So that's that can be tough for anyone. I see why people struggle sometimes. Right. You know, um, and for me, it was just like, okay, I'm bringing like $1,000 bottles of Hennessy back to yeah. 19 years old. You know, everybody, we drinking the best Hennessy tonight. You know, just, just tripping. And the people around you, you know what I'm saying? When you, you're like, you, you know how it is. Like, I used to have all the neighborhood guys. Yeah. Like, yo, they knew I was good, right? Right. So, you, you know, again, hey, you need some shoes, you some Jordans, where you going? You, you got to represent. And my grandmother was like, don't you take don't anything take from anybody. But Really, huh? It, oh, man, she was like threatening me. I was like, okay, okay, I, I got you because you know how, how it is when, when that's there. Those are people that support you. They, they, they support you, though. Man, yeah, the, the, the people you. around. So I know, like, I ran into you before and I'm like, damn, you got this entourage? <laughs> <laughs> like, who are... I'm like, I know, I know, I know. You say a couple I'm times, like, 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 like all of a sudden. Really? All and, of a sudden. I'm like, really, all these people? And you're like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it happens like that. You just, you know, friends that was, you know, maybe they were your friends, but not enough to be with you every single day. But sometimes you feel, you know, and when you're from the hood, you just feel like you need people around you. Yeah. You'd be lonely. And I got drafted, moved to Chicago and Deerfield, Highland Park. Like, this is lonely. You know, you, have, you, you, need, you need your people around you. And, but that's not the best thing for anyone. It's not. They're not working. They're not doing nothing. Nothing. Living, you, living you, off of you. Yeah. You know, and and it's not man. a bad thing. It's just a enabling thing. It's a very enabling thing. Yeah. You know, everybody has to like figure out their their path. But yeah. When you're in that position, and I know I used to keep people around me just to quiet the thoughts in my head. You know, to supply comfort. I agree. I know. I know. It's so much going through my head at 23, 24. Damn. It's like that. It was. That, it was crazy. That, that internal battles. People don't get it. It was. It was unbelievable. Man. They, it was a Toughest thing I had to deal with ever. And you know, like people don't understand. Like they look at these amazing yeah. athletes, and like you gotta still deal with like friends, the the pressure of fame, and if you're in relationships, you know, 
Um, Because I know me, like sometimes I'll always be like, fuck, like, you know, I'm having temper tantrums and things like that. But then I go into the public and it's like, oh man, hey, I know, I know, (laughs) it's two different people. Two two different people. Like, man, like, who are you? And and it gets to a point, like, for me, like, you don't really recognize yourself. Like, it's almost like people pleasing, you, you, you changing a coat every day. And a lot of times I look in the mirror and I'm like, I don't want to look at that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and plenty of times I'm like, you snake lion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You bad person, you. <laughs> Seriously, man. It's like, yeah. wow, you look at yourself in the mirror. It's, that reflection is amazing. Amazing, but. And you got you, you ask yourself questions like, what you going to do? Yeah. What you going to do? More in a minute. Hold tight. Tremendous Upside is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illnesses. We have real conversations about mental health on this show. That's so important to do because not enough people are talking about this stuff, and it's serious. The good news is that people can and do get better. They get help. That's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It can be an awkward conversation, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use, like what to say or not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org where you can take the pledge to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to make it okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. In this half, I want to let you know that Ron and I will talk about suicidal thoughts. If you or anyone you know is struggling, there's help available anytime. It's free and you'll reach a trained volunteer. You can text the word HOME to 741-741 or call 1-800-273-TALK. Let's get back to it. When you came to LA, I remember you came um, yeah. to check out. Then you came to my game. I was going through it at that time, like mentally. I didn't even know. That's Man, crazy. I was, yo, imagine this. Because you, you think everything's fine. You think Man, it's cool. You put on, you put on that front. Yeah, you put on. That front. But I'm driving, leaving the marina. You know, driving to the old practice facility, uh, and I'm driving. Only thing I was like thinking about crashing my car, like jumping wow. off, off Me, the building. I, did, I had that. I thought two one time. Really? What, what, what point in your career was this? 2001, Chicago. Chicago? Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't think about like, like jumping off a building or killing myself, but I had a nervous breakdown. I had a mental uh, nervous breakdown, nervous breakdown. Yeah, on the highway, <sighs> on a 90. Stopped the car over on the shoulder on the left side, not even the right side, left side. Uh, I remember I was just... Were you by I yourself? Was, I was by myself. I was by was myself. it like an anxiety attack? Like how do you just, how, like um, explain it? I was just so stressed. Like it was my rookie year, you know, and I'm like, and I'm and I'm getting in a lot of trouble at this point, like family trouble, like out all the time, you know. So I'm like, I'm really like ruining everything right now, and I couldn't just at that point, I couldn't let things happen. I can only think about the worst. Only I only thought about the worst things happening, worst possible scenarios, you know, and. um yeah, I just couldn't deal with it. I just broke down. 
And I was drinking a lot of alcohol. I thought at that point, I thought you drink alcohol and things get better. Man, it's masking. I thought, I thought, it, get, I thought it was supposed to get better, nah, not worse. It, you, you know, you calm down. It, get, it gets crazy. <laughs> Good Lord. Dude, all, ty- all types of thoughts. And then you wake up the next day, the damn problem's still there. It's still there. Ain't going nowhere. Man. Smoke a little marijuana, drink some Hennessy, and you expect everything to get better. Ron was a dominant player in his early years in the NBA. But there was also huge problems. He got suspended. He got into fights. His family life wasn't going so good either. By 2004, he was playing for the Indiana Pacers. One night, they're in Detroit playing the Pistons. 45 seconds left in the game. And Wallace is fouled. And Wallace did... Oh, Wallace! Right at our chest. This has potential to be serious if they don't get between. Wallace upset. Players trying to hold each other off. It starts to wind down, but a fan throws a drink at Ron. It lands right on Ron's chest, and Ron goes after him. Now our chest has jumped over the scorer's table and is trying to get down to the bench. Our chest is in the stands. It was chaos. Nothing like this has ever happened in the NBA. Ron, our chest has a look in his eye that's very scary right now. The game gets called off. Ron is suspended 86 games, and it costs him almost $5 million in pay. That's one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's an moment in NBA history. I remember I started getting all these phone calls, you know, New York Times, wow. uh, Daily News. Yeah. Hey, can you talk about Ron? And I just remember saying, man, Ron's like the nicest guy. You know, yeah, he's I know. always smiling. I was always a nice guy. <laughs> man, like the, the coolest person. I'm like, you know, people are, are judging you, so I'm defensive. You know, you <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I would my, too, oh, I would be too. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> man, he's a, he's a smart guy because they want to label us, you know, yeah, of because course. of your, your, your past. So, what do you think uh, people did not know about that situation? Is there anything they didn't know? I mean, that situation in Detroit was just somebody just hit me. You know, I would never let nobody hit me for no reason, you know. Um, and you get tired of it. Like like I said, if I grew up in the suburbs or somewhere else and I've never seen nobody react how, how I reacted, you know, maybe I don't react like that. Maybe I'm just like, this guy just hit me. Somebody do something. Yeah. <laughs> But at this point, it's like, nah, I'll just handle it myself. I don't need security to do anything. I can handle it myself. Yeah. So what did, I know for me, like when I went through my incident in Atlanta, I know yeah. how it it affected me. Um, it forced me to like work on me. Yeah. What, what what did the incident in, in Detroit do to you mentally? That, that that incident didn't really do much because I couldn't control somebody throwing something. I, I, I didn't tell that guy to throw something at me. So it was everything else. Okay. It was it was like a lot of other things, you know. Um, the demons, you have so many demons. I just fighting them all the time, you know what I'm saying? And um, and uh, I just, I, I quite honestly, I wasn't ready for the NBA. Definitely not. I wasn't ready for to make that much money so early. I knew nothing, you know. I was trying to. I had my family at this point, and I was still trying to keep my family together. Right. I already my my daughter was already um, maybe six years old, eight maybe eight years old when the brawl happened. You know, so at the, and 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 uh, you know, I was trying to focus on family, career. It was like so much. So yeah, you said you were always upset about things on the court. If you think back, you know, what were the things that you were upset about? Hmm. I think um, definitely the family. I was always upset about this situation that I was put myself through, um, and I felt like I couldn't get control. So it's like I know I'm doing wrong. All right, just do better now. But it's like, it's too much wrong, too much more wrong to do, you know? And I can never get a, a, a hold of it. 
and I can never get control of, um, you know, being a, a family man. And it kept spiraling out of control, spiraling out of control. I think that's where the bulk of things came from. It was, it was caused by me. You know, I was just, you know, um, you got to make a little money, you can do more, and then you get in more trouble. A few years later, Ron was traded to Sacramento. Things were spiraling, and he was arrested in 2007 for domestic violence. You're in Sacramento, you know, you had the incident um, with your ex. How, how was your mindset? A lot of it was that it had to do with me. And then Kimsha, you know, she was a major part of my life. So when something's not going right there, I don't really care about anything else. You know, it's like I self, then I start self-destructing. We were so attached and we had this relationship where we, both of us wasn't prepared. You know, and I, I never let her grow. You know, so it was, she, I, I could imagine what she was going through. So our relationship just, you know, was fractured from every, every angle. You know, and um, yeah, so Sacramento was tough. I knew like, this just cannot keep happening. I'm, I'm finna lose my family on top of my career. There was a lot going on. Things had to change, and Ron knew it. He was traded to Houston. Then the Lakers picked him up when he became a free agent. And you come to L.A.? Yeah. Man, they probably wasn't having that. So, no, no, like, no. What it, like, what was that like? You like, I got to yeah. get it together, Ron. <laughs> well, you know, at that point, I mean, when I got here... They wasn't afraid of me. A lot of te- a lot of teams was afraid. I-, I didn't have no options. Like teams is like, no, that's it. I do not want Meta. Oh, Ron, I so Ron, um, I'm sorry. Uh, Lakers was the only team, really. It was the only team. Literally, I was 29. I'm in my prime. Okay, just average 22 against the Lakers in the playoffs. Right. That's a that's a max contract. I couldn't get one job. Everybody was like, nah, nah, nah. We're good. We're good. Because like, I was such a bad teammate. Ugh. After a long time of just trying to push through his demons, Ron was finally getting reliable help. The judge ordered him to get therapy after his arrest, and he stuck with it. In 2010, the Lakers won the NBA title, and here's Ron, right after the game, thanking his therapist. I definitely want to thank my doctor, Dr. Sandy, my, um, my psychiatrist. She really helped me relax a lot. Thank you so much. You know, when I met Dr. Santi, the lady I thanked, on the championship, and she on the couch, and she taught me how to breathe, and it was really cool. I, I really got into it, and then when I started to, to, to uh, learn how to breathe, then I started to like read more about breathing and meditation. I started to fall in love with it. Yeah, I, you know what I mean. Yeah, I started, you know, in, in our neighborhoods, we Baptists, and that's that's all we have is you know we never had any other tools or resources, and meditation and breathing was something I, that I fell in love with. And, and, and it was helping me, you know what I'm saying? It was helping. I still was like edgy. I still get, you know, do my little, get in trouble every now and then, but I felt happier. Yeah, that's it. I always yeah. take that like 10 seconds when I feel my anxiety, <laughs> just like, just like breathe. Um, <laughs> they used to say five seconds. I'm like, five seconds yeah, out of nothing. Right, for me. right. I, need, I, I know I need 10. Maybe, maybe yeah. 20, maybe right. 20 sometimes, zero to 100, real, real, real quick. Because after the five, I, I start questioning things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no magic solution for facing your mental health issues. It's about time and finding what works for you. So, meta. <laughs> Still sounds know, weird. Right? Uh, why do you think uh, meditations work so well for you? I, th- I think meditation works because it gives you another tool to um, relax when there's some adversity, to think, 
and and then not to react over on emotion, which is really hard to do. So I think like meditation is great. It gives you a chance to really just empower yourself in a, in a calm manner and in a stable manner, you know. And uh, that's what life is about. At the, for the most part, when you when you meditate and you just focus on one thing, focus on your breath. I mean, you, you you're really thinking good things. You're not meditating thinking I'm going to punch this person in the face, punch you know, <laughs> you know, punch this guy in the head. Yeah. It's like relax. Everything's good. Yeah, so you know, you you said how anger fueled you. You know, yeah. made you uh, uh, took your competitiveness to another level. Now, minus that, you know, how do you think it would have impacted you on the court? I don't know if I would have been able to dig as deep because I always would work hard, and then when I get tired, would give up. Then I would say, okay, do you enjoy dying? I would say yes, just die, right, right. And I just want to take it to the point where. I want my lungs to explode. And I just, when I'm working out in training, like I would just um, find everything that's bad that ever happened to me in my life, anything that, and, and that will fuel me. But at the same time, I, I, I believe that meditation fuels you better. I, I, I feel that I personally feel, you know, a stable basketball player is always the best basketball player. You know, not one fueled with anger. You know, some people say, that my anger helped me and it worked against me. I, I just, I believe it just worked against me. I don't believe it helped. For so long, I thought I was the only one going through these things. I'm not. We need to keep talking about mental health. That's what this show is about. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with Brianna Scary. She's one of the greatest soccer goalies ever. There's a feeling, and you know this as an athlete, where you you know your body in a way that is almost, uh, you know, the energy of it. Like yes. you can feel that you're connected to to your abilities. And this hit disconnected me from all of that. And it was almost like I lost who I was from it. Tremendous Upside is a production of American Public Media. I'm your host, Shamiqua Holsclaw. John Moe created the show. Phyllis Fletcher is our editor. Producers include Chrissy Pease, Tracy Mumford, and Christina Lopez. Our recording engineer is Jay Siebold. Corey Shreppel mixed this episode. Our theme song is by Riley Mackin. Tremendous Upside is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illnesses. MakeItOK.org has information that can help you and your loved ones. Starting a conversation can be awkward. Make It OK has tips on what to say or not to say. It has stories of hope from people who have been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at MakeItOK.org. Again, if you or someone you know needs someone to talk to, trained volunteers are available. You can text the word HOME to 741-741 or call 1-800-273-TALK. Any time of the day, someone's there, and it's free.
Hi, it's John Moe again. Thank you for listening to our first episode of Tremendous Upside. Hope you enjoyed it. Go search for Tremendous Upside in your podcast app, wherever you get your podcasts, and hit subscribe. We'll be back with new episodes of The Hilarious World of Depression pretty soon. Thanks.